0: what's up guys welcome back to their sport universe podcast it's me brian and joe and nick
1: what's going on guys and max hello everybody
0: okay so we're going to discuss today obviously some football um there's a lot of recent baseball news that i want to talk about some nba news nothing about hockey and maybe some college stuff. Okay, let's hop right into football
2: all right so going to football uh, again i'm just kind gonna... of trying to go through these games as quick as possible. We do have a football podcast likely starting up next week. Uh, It's going to be strictly football under the sport universe. Uh, More details about that to come. Uh, So getting right back into the football games, the first games of the week we had were the Saints versus Falcons. Not much to talk about here other than the Saints win it 21-16. Saints move to 10-2. Falcons move to 4-8. Saints obviously a playoff team at this point. Falcons not. Uh, You know, the Saints are still struggling without Drew Brees back. Taysom Hill had a solid game. Uh, other than that, you know, not much to talk about. I think the Saints do need Drew Brees back if they are going to make a run in the playoffs, though, because Taysom Hill, uh, for me, has shown that he's not really a uh, starting quarter, starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. Definitely a great utility man. Uh, definitely great running the ball. But in terms of passing the ball, I think there's, there's a lot to be desired there. I'm not saying that he can't develop into that, but I don't think he's there right now. And If the Saints want to win now, I think they need Drew Brees back.
1: Yeah, I mean, I for this game itself, I mean, it's really just about expected because the Saints do their usual thing. They don't really blow anyone, anyone out of the water, but they won the game. And I agree with you about Taysom Hill. I mean, he's a great Swiss Army Knife player, but you know, when you can't throw the ball, which he did twice in this game, actually for touchdowns, I believe it was, but he can't do it regularly. I don't have faith that he can sustain that production. So when you can't, when you can't be a real threat throwing the football, you're not going to, as a quarterback, it's going to be tough for your team to win. So, I mean... It's good that he's won. I believe, yeah, it's his first three games starting. But, I I mean, I probably don't see that in coming – doing. I don't see that happening in the playoffs. They're going to need Drew Brees back.
2: I definitely think in terms of his success as a passer, it's been likely due to the system. Not exactly his talent as a passer, so that's where you see those two touchdowns there, um, in my opinion at least. Um, So going beyond that, we have the Bengals-Dolphins – Another game here where we kind of expect the result that we got. Dolphins won at 19-7. Uh, Dolphins moved to 8-4. Bengals are 2-9-1 now. Uh, Tua comes back, you know, 300 yards and a touchdown. Pretty solid game out of him. Uh, pretty much down between him, Justin Herbert, uh, for rookie of the year. Uh, um, you know, I think outside of them, we'll get to the – I think the offensive rookie of the year is pretty much locked in at this point, in my opinion. Um, it's obviously not going to be a quarterback. they way, she's a quarterback. But other than that, you know, Dolphins, really good team this year, 8-4. and four. Uh, it's between them and the Bills to win the division. It's going to be a rough race down the line. We're going to see who wins the division. If not, I, I do expect possibly one of these Dolphins or Bills team to make it into the wild card. Um, so, again, Bengals are down bad, you know, due to, you know, rookies, uh, somewhat of a lack of talent, and obviously, injuries with Joe Burrow gone. So, not much of uh, an unexpected result here.
1: Yeah, I definitely yeah. Like the result here. You know, the Dolphins, they're. I mean, Tua's still settling, and he's looked good, but he's not quite that elite level just yet. He'll get there, but it's just not—you're not, not going to have that explosive offensive performance from the Dolphins, and it's just one of those things where, really, all you got—all you got to do in a matchup like this, just do enough to win. They did just that, so yeah.
2: Totally. Um. So moving on from there, I think we have our first solid game that we could talk about: um, the Vikings and the Jaguars. Vikings winning in overtime, twenty-seven to twenty-four. Uh, it's going to the Jaguars side of things. I think James Robinson has really shown to be a very good running back uh, in the NFL. And I think he's, he's kind of their starting running back for the future at this point. Um, quarterback still le- leaves a lot to be desired. You still have Mike London in who has not been good at all. One touchdown, two interceptions, 280 yards. Um, you know, I, it's been really tough for, as a, for if you're a Jaguars fan, this franchise is kind of in shambles right now. They're not going to get the first overall pick with how the dolphins are, uh, the Jets rather are looking. gonna uh, be pretty tough for them to get the first pick. They're going to hopefully need the Jets to win. And then try and get that, select that first overall pick, try to get Trevor Lawrence. Uh, this, this Jaguar seems in, in pretty much shambles, uh, but they did put up a fight here. I mean, I thought it was a very wishy washy game for, for the Vikings. Uh, they really should have won this one by more. It should have never gone to OT in the first place. Um, <clears throat> that being said, um, just talking about the uh, Vikings a little bit Kirk Cousins, three touchdowns, one interception, 305 yards, 106.3 QBR. Dalvin Cook had a solid game, 120 rushing yards. But one player that I did want to talk about, who I think has been absolutely spectacular and has kind of flied under the radar a little bit this season, again, it was my pick for offensive rookie of the year, uh, Justin Jefferson, who came out at LSU. Um, his route running and his hand ability, hands, uh, been incredible this season. Um, you know, he's been a top, I think, kind of under the radar top five wide receiver in the NFL this year. Looking, you know, I took a minute, looked through his statistics over the entire year, and I'm like, he's been so consistent. I mean, 70 yards a game, pretty much, or more. Um, I, I think he's nearing 10 touchdowns. Really, really good rookie year for Justin Jefferson, and the type of talent that he showed in terms of his route running and his hands are the type of stuff that really fades away as time goes on. He should improve. Um, so I think if you're a Vikings fan, it, it, a lot to be excited about, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. You know, really good combo there on top of Dalvin Cook. Um, I think if you get a top-tier quarterback that's not Kirk Cousins, you, again, we've talked about Kirk Cousins a little bit, as, a, as sort of a mid-tier quarterback. If you get that elite quarterback, this offense could be really special. You know, you fill in the gaps on the offensive line. Uh, you have a lot to work with there.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on Kirk Cousins. I just don't have faith that he's the guy that can lead an offense to the playoffs. Just looking at the way this team has been, especially in this game, this team, talent-wise, should not even be anywhere near a game. And, I it's I didn't really watching him that closely, but it just seems like with Kirk Cousins in there, they're limited on their offense. But I mean, they do enough to win. They in this game, and it's really not that impressive because they because they played the Jaguars, but they did what they had to do. And I I'm with you on Justin Jefferson as well because you know I, I was talking to some of my friends back at school a few weeks ago about who um, I thought could win Offensive Rookie of the Year. I'd mentioned Chase Claypool as potentially one of them, but my my friend Noah said that. Um, he really thought it was going to be Justin Jefferson in these past two games. He's really, he's really shined and he's shown that he really is a serious contender for that rookie of the year. So, I mean, I, he definitely is probably one of my top three candidates.
2: For sure. For sure. Um, moving on from that game, um, this game it really left me speechless. You see the Raiders beat the Jets 31 to 28. Jets moved to 0 and 12. Raiders moved to 7 and 5. I was talking about the Raiders. I think there's a little bit more to talk about in terms of the Jets. Raiders have shown to be really inconsistent over this past like four or five games. Um, You know, struggling against the Jets, but blowing out certain teams, is just they've been really inconsistent. And I'm really interested to see where this Raiders team does go. Again, they've showed flashes of talent. They're seven and five. If they can somewhat win out the rest of the season, they may make the playoffs. Um, it, it You know, it's going to be tough for the Raiders moving forward. You know, do they stick with Derek Carr? Um you know, Josh Jacobs has been really inconsistent this year. He's, he's been out, I think, for the past – he was out this game. He's gonna, probably going to be out the next game with his ankle injury. Um, one thing excited for the Raiders is Darren Waller had an absolute explosion of a game against the Jets. 200 yards and a touchdown for a tight end is absolutely incredible. His size and speed, uh, he's really developed, especially over this year, into, I think, a top five, even higher tight end in the league. Uh, so it's a lot to look forward to in terms of uh, the Raiders. And I also think uh, Henry Ruggs really put – why he was chosen in the first round uh, on display in this game, uh, the fact that he's able to stretch the field, and obviously he gets the game when he touchdown. Which we'll talk about in a second. Um, I, I really like Henry Rugs moving forward. You know, he's he's got a lot to develop in terms of his route running and and hands, but his speed is really unmatched, especially coming out of this draft. Um, going for the Jets side, you know, we got the result we expected, which was a loss. Uh, Sam Darnold two touchdowns, one interception, one eighty six yards. Not awful, awful, but definitely not good by any means. Uh, my, my biggest thing here is, um, you know, it's, it's been pretty much showed around all of ESPN um, as well as Twitter. Uh, you know, the, the Jets were winning this game 24 to 28 uh, with like about 15 seconds left. You have the Raiders about the 50 yard line. Um, Raiders drop back. Their car going to bomb it deep. The Jets, some for some reason, either play somewhat of an engage eight or a uh, cover one deep man sort of sort of a coverage um, which you guys don't know what that Gay essentially blitz everybody. You have three safeties over the top. Um, and then cover one, which I think it was, I think it's more aligned with cover one. You have man on man on every receiver, essentially. You have one safety over the top help. Um, you never run that in that type of situation. It, it, I don't understand it. You know, they, they blitz both linebackers. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me, especially when you think about the Raiders and their personnel, you know, Henry Ruggs, uh, especially who obviously score the touchdown. He, You know, you you play prevent defense in that situation. It makes no sense that that they would play cover one there. Um, And obviously, Greg Williams, defensive coordinator for the Jets, as a result was fired for it. I I really do question that decision uh, beyond Greg Williams. Me personally, I see it as Jets' ownerships told the Jets to tank this game. We're 0-11. We need to to secure that first overall pick. We cannot win this game. Send a blitz. uh, You know, get beat over the top. Give up the touchdown for the win. I really can't see, you know, was Greg Williams that arrogant where he's saying, I trust our players to blitz and get there before Henry Ruggs can beat us over the top? Yeah, just so unconventional, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I think it goes on and on about how dysfunctional this Jets organization is, no matter whose fault it is. And I was having a little bit of conversation with my friends over in my fantasy football group chat, and I was talking about maybe Trevor Lawrence staying in college, um, and they all call me a clown for it, but, you know, just hear me out here. This Jets team has been so dysfunctional over the past year uh, beyond dysfunctional than more than I've ever seen. You know, the, the, Cleveland, um, the Cleveland Browns, you saw struggle for years, but I think it was more of like just finding the right head coach um, quarterback situation. This Jets team, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Right. Look at their moves over the past couple of years. They, they hire Adam Gase, which makes no sense to me and Greg Williams, which I didn't like either hiring. And not only that, they, they've waited this long to fire Greg Williams um, and they still haven't fired Adam Gase. You you see uh, Sam Darnold they pretty much ruined his career never gave him a shot to succeed I believe in the NFL. Um, you have Le'Veon Bell who they signed to a a, a giant contract uh, and then essentially release after essentially saying we don't want you. Uh, mostly by Adam Gase but then it you know, puts the you know the fact that the ownership hired Adam Gase and you know pretty much didn't fire him after saying you know I never wanted him in the first place. You know it, it puts a rift in the team already and it, at you know at the end of the day they wind up releasing Le'Veon Bell. In my opinion, looking at the trade now, they pretty much traded away Jamal Adams for nothing. Um, you know, They got they got McDougal, who's been okay out of that trade, but the, the current situation, the Jets are in a 30-year-old safety doesn't really help them, and the odds that the picks that they got in return are going to be as good as, as Jamal Adams is, is quite rare, and it'd be nearly a miracle to get the s- same amount of talent you got out of Jamal Adams. So it's not nothing, but I don't think that they're going to get the return and their value. And then, you know, it's on top of all the, the talent that they're missing, and and dysfunctionalists across the entire organization. Um, I think it's a possibility. I know Trevor Lawrence is not going to do it here. He said that he wasn't, and I don't think he will. I'm just saying it wouldn't be a bad idea if he did decide to stay in college. You know, we saw him in 1997. We saw Peyton Manning do the exact same thing. He returned to Tennessee after he realized the Jets were going to have the first overall pick. Um, And, you know, his career turned out pretty well. So uh, just a thought there. I don't know if you have any uh, thoughts back, Max, but uh, this Jets team is is quite awful.
1: Yeah, I actually do. And I think that the whole thing with – Trevor staying in college for another year has more legs than some people think. And I'll explain why. So we don't need any explanation on the jets. We we've talked about him plenty of times, but look at Trevor Lawrence. This is not a guy who just wants to, you know, get paid, wants to be famous, all that stuff. He actually cares about playing football this year. Like, there's no way all his advisors and people who talked to him were, were not telling him opt out, save your future yet. He's all over on Twitter doing everything he can And being the most involved in trying to save the season, I mean this, and he wants to play even after a thing, even after he got COVID, he still came back and played. I mean, and with the opportunity to avoid a team like the Jets, it's far fetched, but I could potentially see it happening.
2: I definitely agree there. But when you look at Trevor Lawrence, he's not the type of guy. He's not flashy. He's not the type of guy that wants money. You you can tell right away compared to maybe like a Baker Mayfield. He's been very quiet. He's always pretty quiet, you know, hard worker, gets gets the job done, tries to lead his team over at Clemson. Um, and he just says, again, he's always thinking about his future. And as you said, it, it makes a lot of sense for him to not go to the Jets um, in that situation. You know, looking at it realistically, as I had mentioned, they just ruined Sam Darnold's career, who is a top-10 quarterback pick, you know, could have went first overall in that draft. What are they going to do with you? <laughs> Are there going to be a different and minimal things have changed? I do question that.
0: I think oh, that, yeah, there's two things I wanted to say. First off, with Trevor Lawrence, I mean, the biggest point is that the what the Jets did with Sam, with Sam Darnold. I mean, it can't be – it can't go unnoticed by Trevor Lawrence how crazy Sam Darnold's decline in what he was expected to do in the league to what he is now. Like, that can't go unnoticed. And there's no reason to expect that anything's going to change. I mean – the same people that picked Adam Gates to be the head coach are still in charge. Um, and they're going to have to pay they They're obviously going to fire Adam Gates. They're going to have to pick a new coach and who's to say they don't make the same mistake they did before. Um, and I mean, it's such a fair point and I've seen all the, I've seen most of the videos where he's like, yeah, it's been a great time here. Um, I'm looking forward to the future and things like that. So it's obvious that he's pretty much made up his mind. There's still some time to go before he like officially says, yeah, I'm declaring for the draft, but um, it's a totally fair point that Trevor Lawrence might want to stay in college. And I've said it before, who wants to go to the jets at this point? And it's, it's sad to say as a jet fan. And the other thing I wanted to say about um, Greg Williams I've, I've after that play, I was watching a bunch of videos. Obviously, everyone was talking about it, and what just came from it is Greg Williams is the type of guy who is going to do a blitz at stupid times because he's so arrogant and is that type of defensive coordinator. And I was watching—I um, don't know what the show is called on ESPN—but Rex Ryan was talking about it, and he had some things to say about Greg Williams. He's not the biggest fan, but he's one of those people that oh. He knows that that's not the right play call, but that's how he does things, and he's going to stick to it, which to some degree, I guess, is a good thing. You want a guy to know what he wants to do, but you don't want him to make dumb decisions just because of his ego. And um, for Greg Williams, he has the potential to be probably the first person to be a part of two 0-16 seasons. And I mean, that just goes to show that he's not the best defensive coordinator. And just looking at the fact that he was on an 0-16 Browns team, I don't know why Adam Gase and the Jets decide to go with Greg Williams as your defensive coordinator, probably because there's no one really interested in the Jets job. Um, it's it's just uh, another reason why the Jets are are and will be for the foreseeable future a bad franchise.
2: And just looking at the Jets defensive, uh, defensive roster at the beginning of the season, you have Jamal Adams, Marcus May, uh, you know, as well as like Steve McClendon, who's a solid veteran. You have talent there to win a game. If you can't coach that into at least one win throughout a 16 game season, uh, so you're doing something wrong. And now he's going to be part of possibly two 0 and 16 teams. I, I really hope that no team hires him again, especially after that play. Again, you play prevent defense there. You nearly have a guaranteed win. I mean, uh, allow your pass rushers to get there. It's the most successful way to go. And it just doesn't make any sense to me down the stretch to, to call that play.
0: One thing that I did uh, want to add um, is that. In another video I was watching, they were they were talking about another call that Greg Williams made, where it was just a dumb call, like in the far, far back in time. I don't know who it was, but I'm sure there's been a lot of times where Greg Williams has made that stupid call, and it just luckily didn't end up cause costing a game. And so I'm sure he's done it time and time again.
2: Um, and beyond that, I just want to talk about let's say the Jets. Let's say the Jets did throw that game. I, I hate. That because it, it puts a, the NFL in jeopardy of having a same system, system that the NBA the NBA has. Although well, though they will install a lottery, um, and no matter what your record is, you know you, you see the Knicks. You know us being from New York, me and Brian, you see the Knicks get screwed over every single season because of the lottery. You know they should have the first overall pick. They get the third. They get the eighth. I don't want that for the NFL personally. I'm not a fan of the system because um, for teams that are legitimately that bad, it really puts them. It hurts them. It helps teams that aren't as bad. Um, but if you purposely tank like that, uh, what is the NFL supposed to do? I'm sure they're going to review that to make sure uh, and go through and do their due diligence to make sure that wasn't a, a complete throwaway. Um, I know it's going to be hard to prove, but uh, if it was a, pr- a purposeful tank move, it's, it's not good for the NFL. Um,
0: At the I same I didn't time, you blame them? <laughs> <laughs> I did want to add that um, the thing about the tank thing, I don't know. I don't really think it was a tank move because Greg Williams is the one that's in charge of the defense, and I don't – I mean, he got fired because of it. So I don't know if he really wanted to – if he really wanted to be a part of the tank to end up getting fired. Um, Like, I was Greg Williams, and I knew my team wanted to tank, and I knew that I was getting fired, which he has to assume he was – before he actually got fired, that he was going to get fired after the season, I would call an actual smart play. So we end, so the Jets end up winning just to show it in their face. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it was a tank. But I mean, there's definitely reason to say that it could have been, but I don't think it was.
2: Yeah, totally valid point. Um, that being said, I'm going to move on to the next game. In the Interest of time, we had the Colts versus Texans. Colts are eight and four. They won twenty six to twenty. Texans are four and eight. Um, you know, the Texans lose this game late. They fumble the ball to recover it ended game. game. Um, nothing spectacular of either side, in my opinion. T.Y. Hilton had a solid game, 110 yards, one touchdown. Philip Rivers, two touchdowns, 285 yards. Jonathan Taylor had his you know, typical game where he has close to 100 rushing yards. He's been really good this season, I think. Again, one of those players is kind of under the radar. Um, I think the most notable players on the Texas side, though, Sean Watson obviously had a bad game, two t- uh, zero touchdowns, one interception, 341 yards. Um, you know, that again, that Colts defense, I think is, is pretty solid. And I think they're, they're not talked about enough, but, uh, Kiki Kuti, who has been in and out of the lineup for the Texans for a while now, uh, with Will Fuller being out because of suspension, uh, Kuti has, which he's, he stepped in before, um, when Fuller got injured last year, he was really good. And now Kuti, he steps in, has 141 yards on eight receptions. Um, he's pretty much Texas go-to guy if Fuller's out, obviously they don't have DeAndre Hopkins anymore. Um, if you're a fantasy owner, if you're going into the playoffs, Kuti might be somebody to look, uh, pick up at your flex just a little. Because I did it myself, so uh, a little insight there. Uh, Max, do you have anything?
1: Yeah, not really. I hey, think uh, this game was about expected. I mean, the we we. I think I don't think this was going to be a blowout. It's a divisional game, and the Texans are more talented than, than the record shows. Unfortunately, they they did Texans things and fumbled at the. Goal line on the game winning drive, which probably would have been they were down by six points. But yeah, overall I think the game was it was supposed to be a close game and it was.
2: Mm-hmm. Um with that being said, we'll on to the next game. Big game here for Max with the Browns, Titans. Browns won it 41 to 35, Browns moved in nine and three, Titans moved in eight and four. On the Brown side of things, obviously bad defensive performance by them. Offense was great. Uh not typical of the Browns, especially with Odell being out. Um You know, I got to say, Baker Mayfield really showed out in this game. It wasn't the rushing game 100% for once. Uh, Nick Chubb, uh, 80 yards rushing, one touchdown, typical out of him. Uh, But Baker Mayfield, four touchdowns, 334 yards, 156.9 QBR. Um, And you see receiving-wise, you had uh, Jarvis Landry with the touchdown. You had Higgins with almost 100 yards and a touchdown. Donovan Peoples-Jones with the touchdown. Uh, Kendall Lamb with the touchdown. A pretty incredible job by the Browns offense here. Uh, to take down this Titans defense and pick them apart. You um, know, Titans side of things. Um, I just think it's interesting um, looking at the Titans defense how they are right now. I think I, I saw this analogy on I think it was on YouTube this morning. Where it was like every team that Logan Ryan has gone to has improved their defense, and then once he's gone, they've kind of declined. Um, when when he left the Patriots, the Patriots defense sort of declined. Um, you know, they've been up and down. Obviously, just with Belichick. Uh, he was with the Titans. The Titans defense is pretty solid, and now. They're not doing so good. And now he's on the Giants, and the Giants defense is, is doing pretty good. So just a little funny tidbit there. Um, Receiving-wise, Corey Davis had an absolute incredible game, 182 yards, one touchdown for the Titans. Uh, spectacularly, Derrick Henry, by all means, for Derrick Henry standards, got shut down this game, only 60 rushing yards. Um, You know, that being said, I think Brian Tannehill had a solid game, three touchdowns, one interception, 389, 389 yards. But I think it was a pretty – abysmal job by the the titans defense here um, i'm sure max will have a lot more to say so i'll hand it over to max
1: it wasn't just the defense it was honestly the whole team that they, they whatever reason they just didn't look like they came ready to play it was 38 to 7 at the half probably the worst half i've ever seen us play um and um derrick henry he he was stopped on a fourth down early in the game on the first drive fumbled the next drive which never happens um, AJ Brown. He was pro. I think he was hurt that game. He hurt his ankle. Then he was fumbling all over. And then, of course, the defense they couldn't make third down stops, and the offense couldn't get going until the second half. I, I really didn't feel good about the game except for, like the first six seven minutes of the third quarter when it looked like they were the team was gaining some traction, looking like they'd come back, and then it, they looked like they were going to cut it to a thirteen point deficit late in the third quarter, but then. Adam Humphreys bobbled a pass that was intercepted by the Browns. And there was really not a point in this game where the Browns really didn't have control. And even late when when um, the Titans scored two touchdowns and even made a six-point game, it was pretty far out of reach. I mean, really, the like Nick said, the only player that really should feel good about their performance was Corey Davis. And I think the stats speak for themselves right there. And I think he's earning himself a nice contract after years of looking like a bust, which is really good to see. That's really the only silver lining in this game. You know, a few weeks ago, even a month and a half ago, maybe, I would have tried to just talk about how the Titans showed fight, how they came back, but we 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 expect that at this point. We know this team competes, but at this point, what I'm really looking for as a fan is more consistency. You know, we can't afford these bad – it's one thing to have a bad game every runs in a while. That can't happen all the time. And I I know this team is capable of turning it on whenever they want to do it, but nonetheless, the these bad games are a cause for concern. So I, I really don't know how to feel moving going into the playoffs. I mean, we, I think it's a good chance we either go out the first round or make a huge run. I I honestly think there's really not much of an in-between with our team.
2: Yeah, I just feel like the Titans have been somewhat inconsistent um, you know, this season. I really don't know where to place them. They've, had, they've been really good at times, and they've been really poor at times, and I think it's one of the games that they've been really poor. Um, I think it's somewhat of a signature win for the Browns here. Um, so going off from there, we had the, the Lions and the bears, uh, lines one to 34 to 30. Uh, and I want to talk about here other than the bears are, are not good. They were, you know, fabricated team at the beginning of the season and the run that they had really held back by quarterback play Mitch Trubisky, not good. Um, and their defense has been pretty subpar as well. um, I really don't know to say much about the Bears. And the Lions, obviously, they beat a a disgruntled Bears team uh, with the interim head coach. Uh, Matt Stafford, pretty solid game. 402 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Um, Adrian Peterson, two touchdowns, sort of has been a really good red zone threat these past couple of games, so he might be a guy to look up. He's on the waiver wire for you in fantasy. Um, Marvin Jones, 116 yards and touchdown. Um, other than that, i not much to talk about here. Uh, one thing that I did see was um, – by Strong Opinion Sports, which is on YouTube, is the idea that the Lions might possibly trade Matt Stafford, and who they may trade him to is the Giants, which I think would be interesting. If the Giants feel like they're in position to win now, Saquon Barkley comes back healthy, they draft the offensive line this next draft, and they stick, they keep working on the defense. You know, the Giants might need they might need to be in need of a quarterback right now, and Matt Stafford might fill that role for five years. I thought it was an interesting idea. I don't think I'd be too much of a fan of it because. Uh, Matt Stafford has never been really been successful in his career, um, you know, and I don't think the Giants are really in position to need a quarterback like Matt Stafford right now. But it was an interesting tidbit, and I thought I'd mention it. Uh, Max, you have anything to say?
1: I think honestly, this game I was surprised. I think it honestly speaks more about the Bears how bad they are than the Lions because looking at the way the Lions were in their Thanksgiving game last week, they were horrible. Um, defense was awful. Uh, Matt Patricia got fired. I really thought they were dead, but no, that they, they came into Chicago, won this game, uh, and really, it just goes to show how the Bears, how they really were not a good team early in the regular season. They, um, I mean, they were five and one, but it, like I had kept, kept saying, you know, I they were getting off really, really easy a lot of games. You know, there was a, like I said there was a point I started thinking I was wrong. I really wish, I wish I would have just stayed with my gut and said that this team was. Which was just frauds and it's improving to this point. They've lost six in a row now, all but finished. I, I Trubisky's gotta go. Matt Nagy, I think it, is jobs in question. I mean it's it's a bad look when you can't develop a first round quarterback in three years on the job. So yeah. Really not a no good teams in this matchup. You know, okay for the Lions to got the win terrible for the Bears.
2: I totally agree. Matt Nagy's job is probably on the line at this point with how unsuccessful the bears have been uh, moving on from there. We had the Rams and the Cardinals Rams went at 38 to 28 Rams moved to eight and four Cardinals are now six and six. Um, this Rams team. I think their execution this year behind McVay has been really incredible. Uh, Jared Goff has been really solid this year. Uh, th- 351 yards, one touchdown during interceptions. Uh, I don't think he's anything spectacular, but he's probably the one of the best game managers in the NFL uh, and works McVeigh system very well. Uh, Cam Akers, 72 yards rushing and then one touchdown. Um, And then the top receiver for the Rams was Robert Woods, 85 yards, no touchdowns there. Um, This Cardinals team, you know, they've kind of been up and down. I think Kyler Murray has two. Kyler Murray had 173 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Um, Kenyon Drake, 49 rushing yards, one touchdown. And then their top receiver was DeAndre Hopkins, 52 yards and one touchdown. Actually, no, it was uh, Dan Arnold, 61 yards receiving two touchdowns. I just think this this Cardinals team is really young still, and I think they're a little inconsistent in that in that uh, aspect. I think they have really good coaching. Um, they're a really talented receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. I think Isaiah Simmons still needs to be developed, but I think he's going to be an elite tier uh, linebackers slash wherever they want to play him. Really, um, I just have a lot of faith in Isaiah Simmons, and I think he's the type of guy that you could see become maybe like a Bobby Wagner, where he he you know can lead an entire defense of Luke Kuechly. Um, I think he has all all the all the things you would want in terms of. Uh, a hard worker and uh, great talent. So I think there's a lot to look forward to with this Cardinals team. You know, it started off hotter and I even expected at the beginning of the year and they've kind of cooled off down the stretch. Um, again, they're still really young, still a lot to learn. Um, I think that there's a lot of improvement if we done with this Cardinals team. So if you're a Cardinals fan, I would not be too upset um, with that being six and six. And they still have a chance to make the playoffs if, if they can really win out. Um, but this yeah, Rams team has yeah. been. Yeah.
1: So, um, I, I really think this speaks about the Rams. You know, the Cardinals, you know, I'll start talking about talking about them. I mean, they're 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 still working on their consistency at this point, which they need to do before they really can make a run the playoffs. You know, I really am a big fan of their future, big fan of Kyler Murray, but they it'll probably take a few years. They are young. But for the Rams, I mean, year game after game, they continue to impress me. You know, the way Sean McVay has led this team that was I thought they'd go six and ten, but they've um they're leading their division now. And I really also want to talk about their defense because that unit just does not get talked about enough. They're a top three unit um, statistically wise in the NFL, yet they somehow fly under the radar. But you look at the guys on this defense, you know, you've got Aaron Donald gets all the attention, but guy, like, a guy like Michael Brockers has been playing well. Um, Leonard Floyd, I have no idea why the Bears ever cut him. He's been having a good year. Even their secondary, besides Jalen Ramsey, you know, Troy Hill and Jordan Fuller are two guys I've noticed who've been playing well. And this team, they may not be the most talented, but they get contributions from everybody. And I, and that really bodes well going into the playoffs. They're going to – and it, especially if they can continue to fly under the radar.
2: I, I totally agree with you. I think their defense has not been talked about enough. Um, I think their secondary, too, behind Jalen Ramsey has been really good. That defensive uh, of squad has been incredible this season. I think across the board, that Rams team it, it might be a threat in the playoffs. You know, they may not have the best regular season record, 8-4. Uh, but definitely one of the top-tier – Teams in, in the NFL right now, I think they, you know, the more that they play under the trumpet-based system, I think that's going to come big in the playoffs. And they may make a playoff run. Um, and as you said, they definitely surprised me. I definitely did not expect them to do this well. I thought they were going to be a lot worse. Um, so, yeah, uh, congratulations to the Rams. And if you're a Rams fan, uh, really exciting there. Um, next game we had was the Giants and Seahawks. My Giants team beat the Seahawks 17-12. to Giants moved to 5-7. and seven, Seahawks moved to 8-4. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't even know what to say about this Giants team. I'm going to talk about the Seahawks. They've been struggling lately. Um, Their offensive line is is really abysmal. I think it's probably their biggest need on this team moving forward is going to be that offensive line. Um, Giants were running a lot of stunts, and their their offensive line was just not picking it up watching this game. And Russell Wilson struggled, 263 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Not the typical game that we've come to expect out of Russell Wilson. Uh, Chris Carson got back into the lineup, 65 rushing yards. Nothing crazy there. Um, DK Metcalf, 80 yards uh, receiving, 63 yards for Tyler Lockett. Um, ultimately, this this t- this game was all the Giants. This Giants team has became one over the past couple like five games or so, um, and it's really really impressive. You know, the Giants started off 0 and five this season. They're now five and seven, so they're five and two in their last seven games. They they beat the Seahawks with Colt McCoy. I mean, it, that doesn't tell you much more about the coaching than I don't know what will. Um... You know, I one of the we've seen Belichick disciples become awful. We've seen them become good. I think Mike Vrabel is a good coach. Um, I think Matt Patricia's been awful. I think Joe Judge is good. I think he he the team that he the Giants have assembled in terms of coaching has really come to fruition over these past seven games. We've seen the Giants' defense turn nothing into something. Um, you know, James Bradbury's been incredible. Logan Ryan, as I mentioned earlier, has been incredible. Leonard Williams, who was nothing on the Jets, is, is now becoming a good pass rusher in the NFL under the Giants' system. Blake Martinez has been an absolute tackle machine. I think he's top three in tackles. Jarrell Peppers is a, is a great leader on that team, has been really well. Um, and I think they have a lot of depth beyond that. It's just been incredible to see them, you know, the mixed coverages. Uh, Patrick Graham has been incredible. Um, and I think on the offensive side, it's a little bit to be desired for the Giants, right? They don't have Saquon. Um, I don't think they really have the offensive line to do what they want. They don't really have the the overly talented quarterback as of right now to do what they want so there's a lot more to be desired on the offensive side I think of things but i think defensive defensively the giants are there you know i think they're one or two superstars away from being the most elite defense in the nfl because that's how well they've been playing um they're the real deal they held the the seahawks to 12 um not only that you saw two points come off of safety that they didn't really even have a, a part in um you know it's been pretty incredible I got to say, as a Giants fan, I'm pretty excited. I think, again, that, that, that team that they, they've assembled where Joe Judge is all about discipline, all about working hard, not getting penalties. And you have, again, um, Patrick Graham on the defense leading them really well, and Jason Garrett, who's, who's been a really good play caller for the offense. The Giants have pounded the ball for 160 yards when the Seahawks had nine people in the box. Um, this Giants team has been really incredible. And I think they're, you know, they're playing on par with some of the best teams in the NFL, you know, with the Chiefs, with the Steelers in terms of how they've been playing lately. Um, they, and I think they will make the playoffs. I, I truly believe at this point the Giants will win the division. Uh, Max,
1: yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm honestly stunned as what I've seen from this team. You know, and I've I honestly been talking about their defense. I don't know if I mentioned it much on this podcast. I know I've been talking about it with my friends, and I probably mentioned it to you, Nick, too. I even I mean, just looking at that, ta- even from a talent standpoint, you got Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Blake Martinez, who's one of the best linebackers in football. You talk about Logan Ryan real peppers i mean they have guys all over and and i it really looks like this team kind of needed a little time to figure out you know joe judge rookie head coach i probably didn't really know what he was doing at the beginning to um fully but he's picked it up now and i and more than anything this team looks like they're playing together and it shows they won four in a row and you know and you know looking at with the way Joe Judge does the Belichick disciple, I think one thing I've noticed with with the Belichick um assistance is I I don't know if I can just say never, but almost it's almost like don't hire one of their guys as a tactical um, magician or a guy who is like one of the really thought of as a really good coordinator. Um, but looking at guys like Brian Flores and Joe Judge, people are like, what are you doing? You're just hiring these guys because, they're Belichick disciples. But no, I think what it's pretty clear, I think what the um management has seen is seen as their winners. And and that's really more than anything. They don't have to be particularly proficient on one side of the football, but as long as they know how to win games, that's what matters. And the Giants are doing that and they're gonna fly under the radar. And if I I wouldn't want to face them in the wild card round.
2: I totally agree. And as you mentioned, Dexter Lawrence, who I didn't forgot to even mention, he's been a top ten interior defensive lineman in the NFL this year. So it's just one other thing where I think a lot of the players are sort of under the radar on the Giants, but as a, as a group, they're really starting to get their name out there, and they're becoming one of the best defensive squads in the NFL. And as I said, I think they're one or two guys away in terms of superstars, especially defensively, uh, from really being that, that top-tier elite defense. All right, so um, that we have finished up with the Giants. We're going to head into our next game, which is the Patriots and the Chargers. I honestly don't know what to say here other than, you know, um. Chargers coaching, everybody in the Chargers organization should be scared to keep their jobs after this game. I mean, complete blowout. Um, Justin Herbert, 209 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, Austin Eckler, they're only 36 yards. Uh, Not much talking about the Chargers. I mean, Chargers got absolutely shut down like I have never seen before. Um, Cam Newton, uh, you know, 69 yards passing, one touchdown. Then Jared Stidham came in, 61 yards, one touchdown. Uh, rushing, you, you know, you had Damian Harris with 80 yards. Uh, Kim Newton had two, two, two rushing touchdowns. There's touchdowns across the board here. And I I don't know what happened to this Chargers team, but they got shut down offensively by this Patriots team. And it's just this Patriots team has been so inconsistent. And they come into this game, and they absolutely dominate. Uh, I honestly don't want to say other than Bill Belichick's incredible with the roster that he has to be able to put up a performance like that, which is like, where was this all year, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean the Patriots honestly are at this point are rolling. It's been an inconsistent year for them, but I think I feel like you kind of expect that with as little talent as they have. It's I mean, that's tough, kind of tough to say when you have a coach like Belichick. Inconsistency is not really his thing, but they have been that, but they're trying to fight themselves now. So I mean they you know, watch out for them. But for the Chargers, I mean, I totally agree with you. Like what happened? I mean, that we've seen all year they can't win games, they have no clutch wins, they can't, they don't seem to know what it's like to, you know win a big game they never can yeah they just can't they don't know what it's they don't know what how to win they just don't and and you know this past week i think it shows that you know the team is all but given up on anthony lynn i i wrote on my personal blog yesterday i described him as a dead man walking i think at this point his the chargers want any chance to not waste justin herbert and the young core they have which actually is really good Um, they need to go after a you to know, fire Anthony Lynn, and maybe even go after a guy like I've been, like I mentioned, I point a few minutes ago. Don't go after a guy. You don't necessarily have to go after a guy like Robert Sala, who's really, really good as a defensive coordinator, or anyone who's really good offensive guy. Go for a guy that you know is going to be a winner, who can lead your team to win close games. That's your biggest priority. Go after, try to do like go through like a Joe Judge, go after like a Brian Flores, guys who know how to win games. That's the biggest. That should be the biggest priority for the Chargers because that's clearly their biggest weakness right now.
2: Uh, Totally agree there. Anthony Lynn, I've heard a lot. He's a a lot across the entire sports news world that he's on the hot seat. And I have to agree 45-0 loss is pretty tough to argue. That being said, moving on, we had the Packers and the Eagles. Packers are now 9-3. They went 30-16. Eagles moved to 3-8-1. Again, just more dysfunction with this Eagles team. They've kind of flip-flopped back and forth between uh, Jalen Hurts. and then I think the Eagles have now, after this game, declared Jalen Hurts a starter. And I think it's the right move of how bad Carson Wentz has been. I think the Eagles—if you're an Eagles fan—you have to appreciate what Carson Wentz did do for you uh, back in 2015 when he led you guys essentially to the playoffs, and then polls came and and actually won the the, the championship. But uh, you know, Wentz has not been the same this season. We did a PO, i did a POV on him a couple of days ago. Uh, pretty, pretty awful, awful year for him just doesn't have any confidence, Does makes terrible decisions. I think it's, it's about time the Eagles look to move on, possibly, and, and definitely start a rebuild. And they definitely got to give Jalen Hurts a chance before they do that, see what they have in him. Um, he performed pretty well when he stepped in, uh, you know, he had 12 attempts. So looking at, you know, the division here, Carson once had 15 attempts with 16 with six completions, rather, um, 40% uh, passing there. So only 79 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, 61.1 QBR. Hurts steps in, throws twelve uh, passes, has five completions. That's forty-one point seven percent completion rate. One hundred nine yards, one touchdown, one interception, seventy-seven point eight QBR. On my opinion, Jalen Hurts is a little bit better there, especially with him being a rookie quarterback and, and not maybe not a first-round talent. Um, it's definitely look. It's definitely worth the look into Hurts down the line, and definitely continue to start him as they plan to do. Again, the Eagles team is just a complete mess. I think from the top down, they have to think about firing Peterson and. And think about moving shorts. And, uh, you know, I think there's, there's so much they got to look at here. Uh, Roseman, um, you know, I think a complete rebuild is, is definitely the move. And, you know, i friend a Eagles fan. Uh, Alex, he, he was huge on Rager coming into the season. And I, I, you know, had a little Twitter debate with him when they did select Rager. I said Justin Jefferson should have been an Eagle. Uh, you know, fast forward to now, I was right. I was a huge fan of Justin Jefferson because I'm personally coming out of college. I'm a sucker for route running. I don't care how fast you can run. I, you know, I care somewhat about your hands. But if you can run routes really crisply, then, then I, you're higher on my board as a wide receiver. And I think you know Justin Jefferson definitely beat Rager in that department. Honestly, not the speed department. Um, and I, again, Rager's been really inconsistent this year. Um, and that, that entire team, I think, for the Eagles has just been really bad. Uh, injuries, talent is just not there for the Eagles. They need to start a rebuild, I think, right now.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I think really the time for the Eagles to get an overhaul. I mean, it's honestly tough to really say whose fault each thing. It's at this point, it's a whole organizational effort. When your team is that bad, that underachieving for that many years, I mean, I think it's not one person's or two, birds. it's everyone's fault. And you know, Carson Wentz, I definitely think Doug Peterson has made the right move benching him. I think it's too late, but I think at this point, you just need a spark. And I think Jalen Hurts might provide that. He, he sort of did the other day. I don't really have faith at this point that he can really lead his lead the team um, to a winning to to start winning. But I mean, you never know. It, we only saw like a few minutes of them, you know. For the, and like I said, for the Eagles, you'd love to overhaul and rebuild, but you really can't because that Carson Wentz contract has not begun yet.
2: 100 right. They still have Wentz on contract for many years down the line. So they're really in a tough situation there with Wentz being on contract. Um, again, they, they got to do something at Wentz because he's just not the answer right now. Uh, moving on from there, we had the Chiefs and the Broncos. Our results, what we expected, the Chiefs win at 22-16. Chiefs moved to 11-1 and, and Broncos moved to 4-8, effectively making the Chiefs the best team in the NFL. In um, my opinion, they're, they're pretty much favorites to win the, the Super Bowl again, and that's what I expect. Um I think this game says less about the Chiefs. Um, one thing I do say about the Chiefs is that you know, they were held a little bit compared to last week. Uh, and Tyree Kill apparently is out, possibly going to be out this week. He's questionable with an illness that's apparently not COVID-related. Um, other than that, not much to talk about there. Patrick Mahomes, 318 yards, one touchdown. I think this is more uh, of more a conversation about the, the Broncos here. You remember, the Broncos are somewhat injury-riddled. You know, they lost Cortland Sutton on offense. Um, they lost Bob Miller on defense. You know, they've lost players left and right, and they were able to compete in this game. I think they've been somewhat of a competitive team throughout the year. Um, Drew Locke showed moments of brilliance during this game and moments of you know, two to two interceptions. He's thrown uh, two interceptions there it is not good. You know, good moments, bad moments. I think this Broncos team has a lot of potential Um, 151 yards for him as well. Uh, Melvin Gordon, Gordon, 131 rushing yards. Uh, you know, I, I think across the board this Broncos team shows a, a lot of promise especially as they get healthy, A, and then B, start to develop their young talent like Jerry, Judy, um, Keja, Hamler, etc., uh, etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Uh, You know, the fact that they did the final score was 16-22 with the roster that they have currently, uh, pretty competitive game out of the Broncos, which I was a little bit surprised about. Um, but, again, I think it speaks a lot to the future of this Broncos team. You know, I, th- I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. Um, but looking next year, you know, and the years beyond that, that again, with the young talent that they've had and their – their ability to show their, you know, they're showing the ability to be competitive um, They may, they may fight the chiefs for the division moving forward. Uh, Patrick Mahomes may have a challenge in his division.
1: Uh, one oh. I was really um impressed with the Broncos of this one was their defense. And I really think that's why they were able to stay in this game for a while, because they were keeping Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs off the board. And I really think, you know, and that's really what I think was the main difference of this one. But I just think, you know, Looking at this, the Chiefs are just a better team, and the Broncos are really never going to win it, so I, I really don't have much to add to what you said.
2: Yep. Um, so moving on from there, we had Washington and Steelers. The Washington football team wins the game 23-17 to in a major upset against the Steelers here. Washington is now 5-7. and Steelers 11-1, and um, essentially down to Washington and the Giants to win the NFC East. And again, I do think the Giants are going to win the NFC East, but this Washington team, i got to say, is very, very impressive. Uh, the way that Ron Rivera has taken this team and completely, in my opinion, reversed them around is extremely impressive considering COVID, considering the fact that Ron Rivera um, had cancer or still I think it's in remission, technically has had cancer. Um, you know, very, very incredible. Um, I think even beyond that, we've seen Alex Smith sort of sort of a revival of his career. Um, you know, he was he was pretty abysmal in his first start back from from injury, but since then he's been, you know, getting a little bit more and more consistent. I don't think he's going to be anything spectacular, but the fact that he is able to be consistent and win games with this Washington team, considering, you know, the injuries and everything they've gone through, that's pretty incredible. You know, Alex Smith, 30, uh, full 31 completions for 296 yards and a touchdown. You know, and you really can't complain about that. Um, one thing that is of concern with Washington right now is Antonio Gibson went down with an injury. Um, so there's, we're going to see what happens to him on the Steelers side of thing. I think the Steelers really got exposed for the weaknesses they have a, they can't throw a deep ball. Um, it's sort of a struggle for them. There, there. A lot of their offense comes from short, short passes, and I think this Washington, you know, secondary has been really great all year. Was able to shut that down. And I think their their running game has, has leaves somewhat to be desired. I mean, obviously rushing here, uh, you know, the Steelers put up uh, t- what is it, twenty one yards rushing, which is incredible, right? And then receiving again, um, I think they were limited. You know, not, not they didn't completely shut them down receiving. Um, but they, they did. You know, they were exposed with the you know, especially late game when the Steelers needed to cut, make a comeback. Um, they struggled to pass it, uh, pass d- deep balls, and I think again that we can just really show with this game. Um, and I think it's really, really impressive what Ron Rivera has done with this team.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, Washington, Washington was really, really their good. it was really amazing what their defense did. You know, Chase Young had that one big stop on the goal line, and I really think you know Ron Rivera's. You know, I think mean, him being one of if not the best coach they've had in years really is making a difference as they got a big win like this, like this. And for the Steelers, I honestly think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there are a lot of years where they will either have either come close to or lose to a team who they're very superior to. And this happened. I really think it's a typical Steelers game. You know, I not really much to get a couple of years ago. I would have said made more of a deal of that I'm not going to make as much of a deal this year since they're only lost on the year. But I'm just saying, you know, these kind of losses do happen. I think, I looking I thought they had turned a corner and I really thought they were gonna win this. I probably should have expected a trap game coming in because that's what it was. But um yeah, I just think that's I think look in hindsight, one of these games is bound to happen with them. So and it did here.
2: Totally agree. And then moving on from there, we have our next couple of games. Um I like think much to talk about in terms of the Bills and the 49ers. The Bills kind of dominated that game. Um uh, really good game out of Josh Allen and the entire squad. Um, and then what the Ravens, the Ravens beat the Cowboys 34 to 17. Oh, sorry. I forgot to mention the bills beat the 49ers 34 to 24 bills are nine and three 49ers and five and seven. Again, it's going to be between the bills and the dolphins to win that division. And I do think the bills are going to win it. I think the dolphins may get a wild card spot. Um, and then obviously the Cowboys are kind of out of playoff contention. in My opinion at this point, let's say barring some miracle and the Ravens win one that they really needed. Um, I think this. The Ravens game was particularly defined by one play, Um, you know, with how how bad I think the Ravens offensive line has been this season between injuries and COVID. Um, You know, we saw, I think it was like fourth and two on Ravens had the ball on the Cowboys, like 40 yard line. We see a, I think, I believe it was a read option. Lamar Jackson takes up the middle for like a 40, 30, 40 yard touchdown. Um, You know, I think it speaks to a lot to Lamar Jackson's talent, but also how much he means to this team. Um, and when you, you know, he's been limited this year in terms of his receivers not getting open um, and his offensive line play not being great. I think Lamar Jackson is a really good quarterback. And he's been sort of limited by his system this year. Unlike last year, uh, the Ravens are seven and five, you know, not the, exactly the year we expected them to have. But again, they're still in playoff contention. Um, it, it, well, have to see down the stretch, you know, they pretty much, again, have to win out if they want to make the playoffs. Uh, but good one here for the Ravens. And again, the Cowboys have been pretty bad uh, since Dak has been out.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is honestly I just, what I expected right. to expect close early on. Neither team is really that great on the offensive side of the ball. Embarrassing with the Cowboys, but the Ravens, you know, they took advantage of a team that's injured, um, poorly coached. Lamar Jackson had a good game, probably one, honestly, one of his better games all year from a stas- from a statistical standpoint. And um, yeah, really not a whole lot okay. to say. I thought this was pretty, a pretty expected result.
2: Mm-hmm. About 49, I just wanted to mention, where is Raheem Mostert? I swear I have' not fantasy and like the Fortnite has just, just decided to completely divide up all their carries between uh, Wilson um McKinnon and and mostert and it's just like it's so frustrating frustrating as a fantasy owner but um other than that uh, that pretty much completes our NFL section Max has got to sign off because he's pretty busy uh, so thank you to Max
1: thank you for listening to my for my talking guys and I'll see you later
2: all right so there goes Max um with that being said, we are going to move into the MBA now, I believe, um, or the MLB, uh, Mac
0: uh, Brian, whatever you want to do, go ahead. Okay, I'll talk baseball, and then you can do the basketball. Yeah. Okay, so baseball, lots of news to cover. Um, let's just start off with what's actually happened. The White Sox yesterday uh, signed both Lance. I mean, signed Adam Eaton, traded for Lance Lynn. Um, so the White Sox so far. In, uh, Free agency, whatever you want to call this period. I guess the off-season is probably the best name for it. Um, have definitely been one of the more active teams just based off what they've done so far. They're probably the first teams to actually start making real moves in terms of the talent they got back. Adam Eaton, I mean, there's not. He started to fall off. How much you can actually say in a 60 game season is real. I don't know. That's something that people keep on talking about. If you could really trust the sixty-game season stats in like a COVID-ridden season, can you really trust those stats? But if you look at last season for Adam Eaton, uh, his batting average two twenty-six, obviously not good. Four home runs, seventeen RBIs, not good in a sixty-game season. Um, he's not a power back, but he's still not good compared to his previous seasons. He's usually right around the two eighty mark or even above that. So, is he falling off? Was it COVID-related? Was it the sixty-game season? No one really knows because in a sixty-game season. averages work. I mean, you could have a a bad week and it could really affect how your average turns out. So who knows? It's an interesting signing. It's one of those low risk, high reward situations. I think they signed it for two years, 7 million. I mean, one year, 7 million. So obviously not a lot of money, um, which is a low risk, high high reward situation. Yeah, that's very. And then we go into Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn is getting up there in age 33 years old, I don't know the exact terms of the deal. Maybe I could find that really quick. But either way, Lance Lynn has definitely had an impressive couple of seasons with the Rangers. Signed a th- okay, signed a three-year, thirty million dollar years. No, that's with the Rangers. Um, here it is. Lynn signed. Let's see. Let's see. All right, I I don't know what the terms of it. But either way, he's had a pretty impressive stretch with the Rangers a couple seasons ago, three sixty seven ERA. It's high, but if you go into last season, three thirty two ERA, definitely not bad. Um, And it seems like the White Sox definitely got a good player out of this deal. And you go previous seasons before that, not the greatest. It seems like he's starting – he might have turned it around in Texas. We'll have to see. It's another – um, high low risk, high reward situation. It definitely wasn't an expensive deal. That's I for sure know that. Oh, wait, they traded for him. I'm sorry, <laughs> they traded for Lance Lynn. So, the, there's no deal, they already traded for him. It was a it, he's under contract for three year, 30 million dollars. So, I don't know what year of the contract he's in, but he seems to have turned a quarter when they turns turned a corner with the Rangers. He's 33 years old. Um, so he's getting on the older side, but. Pitchers can pitch for a while if you know how to do it. So it'll be interesting how Lance Lynn turns out for the, for the White Sox. Um, then you go into the Reds trade Rysel Iglesias to the Angels. Interesting move on the, for the Reds part, in my opinion. I don't really see the reason that they go ahead and trade him because it seems like the Reds, they, they might not sign Trevor Bauer again, but it seems like last year, they these past couple of years, they started to figure it out especially with what they were able to do in the offseason, making moves that put them in pretty good spots to make the playoffs. I made the playoffs last year didn't get past the wild card game. But Rasel Iglesias has been a very good closer for them. Last year, 274 ERA, pitches very fast. Um, His strikeouts per nine is 12.1. That's the highest that he's ever had in his career. But Seasons before that, 12 strikeouts per nine, 10 strikeouts per nine. So he's always been up there. But he's a definitely an impressive closer. I mean, he's only really had one bad season, which was 2019 when he had a 416 ERA. But in terms of relievers, that's not the worst. Um, I don't really understand the trade. I don't think they got anything impressive back in that deal. Um, so still kind of confused about that. It's a good move for the Angels for sure. So the Angels get, somewhat, get a good closer. I don't really know... I don't think the angels are any spot to be trying to. I don't think they're going to do anything next year. So I don't really understand the trade that much. Definitely an interesting move. Um, now, what I really want to talk about is some Mets news. Obviously I'm a Mets fan, so I've been following everything very closely. So the Mets right now, it seems are very close to sign James McCann. Um, if you, if this podcast was recorded at, two. It's four fifty-two. If it was recorded at two, I would have said they already signed him because it's seen, it was basically moving in the direction. The reports kept saying they're very close to signing him. And it seems like it's kind of stalled a little bit, not stalled in the fact that I think the deal is going to break down. I think people started to get a little excited very quickly because obviously we're in the Steve Cohn era and all Mets fans are keeping an eye on free agency. So everything, everyone was getting really excited, including me, um, but it seems like they're still trying to figure out the terms of the deal. It looks like it's going to be a four-year deal. Um, I think they'll figure it out. I, I think it's going to happen probably by the end of the day. We'll have to see. Um, if you follow the Met universe, we already said that it happened. We might have jumped the gun a little bit, but we'll see what happens with that. Um, one thing that everyone's been talking about, especially on Twitter, is why it's James McCann and not J.T. Relmuto. That's definitely an important topic to cover, so... If you look at it, James McCann's 31, JTR Muto's 30. In terms of the offensive talent, I'd say James McCann, JTR Muto's just a little better than James McCann offensively. If you look at last season, James McCann had a better season in all terms and offensive standards. Um, but the defense definitely JTR Muto is a better defender than James McCann. And that's something to keep an eye on. But what it really comes down to is the money and years that JTR Muto wanted. I know we're in the Steve Cohen era and he has tons of money, but what JT Romeluto is asking for right now is crazy. It's like in the five to 10 year range, he's already 30. You don't want to have a catcher. Basically he's at the point where he's going to start declining in his career because you can't catchers don't last that long. There's a lot of wear and tear on a catcher's body. Um, JT Romeluto is not the stereotypical catcher. So maybe his career is different, but He's going to start, I think, wearing down. And if you sign someone for five to ten years, he also wants $150 million, which is crazy amounts of money for a catcher. And James McCann just makes more sense for the Mets. He wants four years, which I already said, probably around $10 million a year. And the Mets have a very impressive um, minor league prospect named Francisco Alvarez, which if you're a Mets fan, you've definitely heard of him. And, I mean, it times out perfectly where he's probably going to come up in the next two years he can learn from James McCann, and if it was J.T. Ramuto, there'd be a block there for Francisco Alvarez to ever do anything. Um, So I feel like it just makes more sense to go after J.T. Ramuto, and that also means that the Mets have a lot more money to spend fixing their bullpen, adding Trevor Bauer, getting George Springer. That's basically what I'm going to talk about next. Um, George Springer, it was reported at the same time with James McCann that they were engaged with talking with George Springer, which is more than we've heard in terms of the Mets and George Springer situation. It's kind of interesting how they like talk about these, these, um, how they're talking to these free agents. There's, there, there's engaged, there's light conversations, there's talking to, there's all these different terms and it's kind of hard to keep track of. I don't think they're official. It's just like kind of what they say, um, but it's definitely interesting. So it said the Mets were engaged with George Springer. It doesn't mean they signed him. Um, and this was at the same time with the James McCann rumor, so everyone on Mets Twitter was getting very excited. That has also started to calm down, um, but I expect that James McCann is going to be signed by today and George Springer probably in this week, in my opinion. Um, so George Springer, I mean, I talk about it all the time. He's a perfect fit for the Mets. And then we go into Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer, it's kind of interesting. The only team that I see him, like, there any being any rumors with is the Mets and the Reds too. But I really don't see anything about the Reds. It could just be because I'm on Mets Twitter, but Trevor Bauer continues to show signs that he wants to be a Met. Um, There was another interview with Rachel Lupa that said that Trevor Bauer really likes what the Mets are doing. And um, that's definitely an interest, an interesting landing spot for him. That's what Rachel Lupa said. Ray, I don't, Rachel Ch- Lupa, something like that. Um, I think he calls her Rachel Lupa in his, his vlog, so that's why I'm getting confused. I don't think that's a real name. Um, but yeah, it continues to seem like Trevor Bauer in the Mets is going to be definitely a strong possible landing spot for Trevor Bauer, which was very exciting. To have an offseason where you get J- J- uh, James McCann, George Springer, Trevor Bauer, is a huge offseason, and they would still have other money to spend in other places because of Robinson Cano PD situation. We really don't know how much money Steve Cohen wants to put into an offseason. So who knows about that? The next one, the next person that you've been hearing rumors about is Masahiro Tanaka. Obviously, he's been a Yankee his whole career, which has been since 2014. Um, his first three years with the Yankees were very impressive. Um, and then he started to fall off a little bit after his injury, and his last season, which was last year um, in 2020, has been his best ever since. Let mean, look at that! Ever since 2016, he had a 3.56 ERA, um, which is really a main thing that I look to. Obviously, ERA is important. So I don't think he's turned the corner. I think he just had a good season, and the rumors that you've heard is that the Met, the Yankees aren't really looking to sign Masahiro Tanaka anymore. Um I think they're kind of moving on from that situation. They definitely need another arm in that rotation because they're they're hoping on they're giving riding a lot of hope on some people that are injured and hope that they can get through those injuries. So they definitely need to add another arm, but Masahiro Tanaka has also been rumored with the Mets. In terms of if you're looking at the Mets, if you can add Masahiro Tanaka and Trevor Bauer, their rotation is very close to what it was in 2015. Um, could be even better. So it would be a scary situation, a happy situation for me, scary situation for the rest of the league. But it would be interesting if that happened. Um, the next person, the Mayhew, obviously has been heavily rumored with the Yankees. He wants Luke Void, he said on a interview today, I forgot on what station, but he said that um DJ who wants to be a Yankee and it really just comes down to the Yankees giving him the money because I think they have other hopes in minds for this free agent class and signing other people. And they don't know, especially with their financial situation, if they can give DJ Lameyhu the money that he wants, which is five years, a hundred million, something around there. Um If I'm a Yankee fan, I think all Yankee fans agree. They want Deidre LeMahieu back. He's been an absolute stud for the Yankees ever since they signed him, ever since they got him from the Rockies. Always, I mean, was a MVP candidate this season, always in the top in terms of averages. And there's no reason for the Yankees not to go out and sign him. I think if you don't have Deidre LeMahieu in that lineup, that's a big hole that you're missing in terms of the Yankees lineup. And, I think, even though, yeah, they probably were hurt in the fight with financials and COVID related season, but the Yankees have money, I would assume, to go out and sign people. So I don't think they're really running out of money. I think they definitely have to go and give DJ LeMahieu that money. That's all I really have to say about baseball. Nick, do you have any comments about the Yankees situation?
2: Yeah. So I think from a Yankees perspective, Tanaka is somebody the Yankees will probably let walk simply due to financial reasons. Um, you know, Taka definitely hasn't been bad, as you can see by his ERA, having somewhere between a high two to a mid four, you know, been relatively consistent throughout his career in terms of being a, a pretty good pitcher, nothing incredible. Um, and I think the, Yan- the Yankees are a really in position, that you know, that the Yankees are pretty much always in. They want to win. You know, they're not going to spend big free agent money on guys that they don't think are going to play really incredible for them. Um, and Tanaka might be one of the casualties of this offseason. I do really believe that the Yankees will re-sign D.J. LeMayu. Um, I've not, not heard from Voigt. We've now heard from uh, Glaber Torres that uh, uh, LeMayu wants to be a Yankee, and I think the Yankees will make it happen at some point. Um, Yankees are really never a team that skim money. Um, they may just be, I think, somewhat faking that to try to get him down in terms of how much he wants and they can spend money elsewhere. Uh, but I think the Yankees would be incredibly stupid to let LeMayu walk it just wouldn't make any sense. He wants to be Yankee. Um, I don't think he's asking for something ridiculous in terms of money. I think he's asking for somewhat of a fair amount. You I know, mean, a little bit on the expensive side, but uh, for how productive he's been, it, it again, not really that incredible in terms of how much he wants. Um, you know, there's guys who, who put up his numbers that want a billion dollars over a ten-year contract. So um, the fact that he's only asking for 100, 200 million, whatever the number might be, not that much. Um, that being said. I do hope the Yankees somewhat get active in terms of Bauer. I hope they were able to bring him in. And I've heard rumors uh, the Yankees are looking to bring in Schwarber, so that's a possibility yeah. to Kyle Schwarber. So i will have to see what the Yankees do there.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I definitely yeah. saw the end of yeah. Kyle Schwarber. He's definitely a, someone that the Yankees are definitely going to be into, especially with how small their field is. Kyle Schwarber would just crush. I'm um, definitely and I think- with the DH.
2: Yeah, I think with Brent Gardner also stepping out, they may need an extra outfielder, so. Oh, that's one thing that I did want to add.
0: Um, So there was a memo sent out to NL teams to not expect a universal DH um, going into 2021. Um, I don't know how that that could just be a situation where they're saying that don't base your whole offseason that there's going to be a DH. But it's really bad on the MLB side that they haven't decided this yet. It seems like an easy decision. I don't think anyone's really against a universal DH. Um, it seems like the 60-game season was a perfect test session for it. I don't – nothing – ever. I think it was much better. I think most people would agree with that. I don't really want to see pitchers back swinging, possibly getting injured from that. It really puts NL teams at a disadvantage when it comes to the offseason. It puts a lot of other players at like Marcelo Zuno, like Kyle Schwarber. It takes a whole half of the league off of possible people signing with other teams. I think it's total fault on MLB that they haven't decided yet. I don't know how this hasn't, how they didn't figure it out during the season. Um, it just doesn't make sense. If I was a GM or an owner, I would just assume that there's going to be a universal DH, even though the memo said that, because if you have more talent on your team, more the merrier, in my opinion, um, And I, it's really bad that you have to just guess or figure. It just doesn't make sense that they haven't decided that yet. It's going to hurt a lot of teams. Um, It just is a sucky situation. But yeah, that's all I really have to say about baseball. Um, We're going to hop into basketball.
2: All right. So going into basketball, um, obviously not much to talk about in terms of training camp. Obviously training camp is underway. The only real store that's coming out of the NBA right now is through the Rockets. James Harden, what is happening? Uh, as a Rockets fan, it's been pretty upsetting. I, I don't know what's going on, but uh, James Harden was absent last week. Pretty much, he was out going to clubs and partying with Lil Baby, who is a rapper. Um, you know, in groups of fifty people, no masks, no social distancing. Um, you know, he hasn't shown up to practice. He, he, finally showed up to practice today. And apparently he can't practice because he needs to test negative on six consecutive COVID tests, which is a lot. Um, I guess it's the new protocols in the NBA, um, which again, not a bad thing. But it's just like James Harden. Ah, what do what do you want, man? Just looking at the Harden objectively, right? Been an incredible player from, from the beginning, right? From since the Rockets have gotten him since 2012. Been you know 25 plus points per game, and then past couple of years has been 30 plus points per game. Since joining the Rockets, he has gotten every single every single thing that he's ever wanted. If he's asked for it, you know, he, he's gotten it. They traded Chris Paul. Um, they've moved around the roster so many times. There's not much more the Rockets can do in terms of trying to please him. But that being said, he's acting like a total child and completely threatening the fabric that the NBA has put together um, to try and fight COVID. You know, they've done their absolute best to try and eliminate COVID from affecting the game. And James Harden says, screw it. I don't like my situation with my team. So he's being acting very reckless in terms of COVID um and acting like a, a total baby in my opinion you know he's two years up on his contract in reality houston has all the leeway here to do whatever they want you know they they can move james harden wherever they want um you know harden really has no leverage in this trade uh, he's on a huge contract and the rockets need a significant you know portion back in exchange for whatever they get for harden you know the rumors are right now he wants to go to the Nets and the 76ers. And the 76ers don't give up Ben Simmons. They're going to have to give up their entire bench in like five to seven years worth of first-round picks. Um, it'd be incredible if that happened. I just don't understand you know, how they'd make that work. And on the Nets, obviously, they, they need like Kyrie Irving and some picks. Um, the trade value there is just immense. And then a team, the other teams have to be make sure they want to take on not only the roster uh, in terms of you know how James Harden will play and how he'll affect the roster in terms of he's really successful in ISO Bowl. You also got to think of the contract impact. And how how diminished your salary cap will be due to James Harden's large contract. There's really not a lot of room to move James Harden. And I I don't understand why he wants out so badly. I really don't think unless you're joining a super team like you did, you see with the Warriors and and et cetera, et cetera. You know, the Miami Heat uh, that we've seen over the years. I I really don't see how you can get any better than the Rockets. Um, I I like their coach right now. I think this is the most talented team that that the Rockets have had um, since James Harden's been there. John Wall's a pretty solid point guard. You got James Harden. You got whoever you want to put at the three, P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, Eric Gordon. Depending on what you need, right? You need defense. You need versatility. You need scoring. You could pretty much swap those guys interchangeably. You got Christian Wood power Powerful, and you got DeMarcus Cousins at center. This possibly could be the best. You know, if John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins stay healthy, the best and the most talented rocket team that Harden has been on since being in Houston. I just don't understand why Harden wants out so bad and why he's acting like such a, honestly, a child. Um, it's very frustrating as a, as a Harden fan and as a Rockets fan to see him act like this. And I just, I don't understand what he wants the Rockets to do. They're, they're in a very tough situation in terms of trying to please him. Um, I don't think Harden's, you know, handling the right way. He needs to go to practice. He needs to work, you know, if you want to trade really badly, continue to push for that, but act like an adult, go to practice and and see what you can do with that team. If if they can't make that trade happen. Um, I don't know if you have any comments, Brian, or anything to add.
0: Um, I think that, James, like, this is what I don't get about professional athletes. There's players that are seen so highly by fan bases, and then they go through things like this where they act like complete jerks, like babies, like you said. And then to totally disregard COVID, as you're saying, there's, I mean, obviously there's a divide on how people think you should combat COVID um but there's a large portion of i'm sure rockets fans that don't like what james harden is doing and as a supposed leader that he's supposed to be for the rockets what he's doing going at the clubs and things like that is totally uncalled for these sports leagues are trying so hard to get these to get to allow players to play this game to have fans watch watch sports to have some sort of normalcy and he's just completely disregarding all of that and doesn't care about it i mean this is how i view a lot of these things where people go out to parties and things like that it's just a selfish attitude on all fronts um and i mean if i'm a rockets fan and james harden is my star like it's going to bother me for a while how he's dealt with this whole situation and i don't like these players have like PR teams around them. And I don't know how this is just happening unless James Harden doesn't. Um, It's just total stupidity on his, his front and it's a stupid situation.
2: I totally agree. You know, think about the bubble, right? Sticking to the Rockets. You saw Daniel house apparently bring in some woman into the, into the rock, into the bubble. He got banned from the bubble. He got kicked out, was never allowed back in. And it's just, I know the season hasn't started, but it's about to start. You know, you have to start your social distancing if you weren't before, which you should have been anyway. But the season's starting up. You got to start doing that. Prepare yourself where you, you can't play unless you test negative for COVID. Very, very obviously. And it's just, he's, he's not acting responsibly. He's, he's hes adding to the spread. And as a superstar, especially in the NBA, a, you have to act responsibly. There's a lot of people without your eyes on you. You need to act better than that and not be so selfish. Um, B, I understand that you're you know you're probably tired of COVID, and James Harden was always a big club guy. Um, and he really likes Lil Baby, uh, the rapper. And I understand you know, your relationship there. But, again, be smart with COVID, right? You guys, even Lil Baby himself needs to be smarter than that. You, you have a lot of influences and, and things you're connected to that you can't just act irresponsibly like that. And on top of that, look how it looks for the entire NBA, you know, with him acting so recklessly with practice starting up and then him not showing up to practice, you know, the NBA is in such a tough spot. It's like if they let him get away with it because they really need, you know, Harden's a big money guy for the NBA, right? People pay to go see him play. You know, they get really put into a tough spot because they want to see him play, but they can't let him get away with everything. It just looks bad for the league. You know, you can't let superstars do whatever they want because they're superstars. Mm-hmm. It's just such a, such a bad, bad situation. It's just James Harden keeps posting on his story, like these random things, like, like uh, random emojis on his story. And like, I'm to be me or, you know, uh, you got to do, you know, never like be who you always be who you are and stuff like that. And it's just like, he's so cryptic in his, in his social media posts. And it's like, why are you doing this? I just don't get it. I understand maybe you're upset with the Rockets organization. That you guys haven't won a championship, but how is any of this a solution? It, it just creates more chaos. and makes the situation worse. Oh, um, well, as you said, I, I, you know, I've always been on the player side for the most part in terms of sports, but I'm honestly on the organization side here that uh, the Rockets have done, you know, pretty much what they can in terms of trying to please James Hardy. You know, you, you completely have reassembled the roster three times in three years where you know, you, now you have a new head coach, you have the new roster. Last year you swapped Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul, got rid of Capella. They've done so much to try and, and allow Harden to win. And it's just like Harden has so much pull. Honestly, Harden may have more pull on the Rockets than LeBron James does in the Lakers, which is incredible. Um, you know, the Lakers are still run by Rob Palenka at the end of the day, where it feels like the Rockets are run by James Harden. I mean, what other superstar have you seen be able to say, I don't like it, change the entire thing, and then the Rockets do it? without a second question asked, they will, they will play small ball. They'll try and give Harden more room to isolate. You know, they'll do their best to try different things to allow him to win. And they just, Harden just doesn't want to work with it. I just don't understand it. Um, That being said, I think that pretty much concludes the NBA. Um, I don't know Brian, you have any more comments. Nope. All right. So last thing I have is a little bit tidbit, oh, just a little bit of college news, uh, college football rankings came out today. Alabama 1, Notre Dame 2, Clemson 3, Ohio State 4, Texas A&M 5, Florida 6, and Iowa State 7. Um, it's pretty much between those teams to see, uh, you know, who's going to make Iowa State 3 and 2. Um, Florida may win it if, if Texas, uh, you know, any of those teams fall apart. Um, it, it really depends. If you're going to go down the stretch, Notre Dame's been incredible this season. Um, you know, when, when Notre Dame and Clemson presumably play each other again, it's going to be a really good game to watch. Uh, really exciting there. And then college basketball, uh, our top ten right now is Gonzaga at one, Baylor two, Iowa three. Who have, have uh, Garza be be very incredible this year. Um, you know, Luca Luca Garza has been absolutely incredible. I, just, I really don't want to pinpoint him because I don't feel like he's overly athletic, but he's just such a talented big big man. Um, can shoot the ball so well and is really good out of the post and just really do it all. Um, by far the favorite to win Player of the Year. Um, and then going down the line, you have Michigan State 4, Kansas 5, Illinois 6, Houston 7, Creighton 8, Villanova 9, and then Duke 10. Um, You know, been all over the place. You you know, you saw Virginia Tech at 15. You see Virginia down to 18. Um, I'm thinking teams. Texas who Villanova just played at 13. So, a really interesting start to college basketball. Nobody's been overly dominant besides maybe Gonzaga and Baylor and Iowa so far. They're definitely the top three teams in the nation in my point. Uh, My point of view, but Hopefully Villanova will get back in there for my sake. Um, other than that, I really have nothing else. That pretty much concludes the podcast. Um, I really don't have much to add other than thank you guys for listening. Um, hope, hopefully, I've been trying to like somewhat restructure football just to go through it quicker to really focus on certain points and then move on. Because I like I do talk about it in depth, but um, the length of the podcast once it gets starts creeping past an hour and a half, people don't want to listen as much anymore. You know, people's attention spans are only so long, so I totally understand it. Um, and as a result, we probably will have a football podcast starting up next week, um, still determining the details of that. Um, and it'll run pretty similar to the football section in this podcast, just be a little bit more in-depth. Um, and as a result, we'll be a little less in-depth in this podcast. Just trying to cover the, the the major events that happened in football. Um, you know, there's 16 games each week, maybe only cover eight, whatever it might be, uh, the ones that really have a larger impact, especially this late in the season where you have teams that are pretty much either playoff teams or not, you know, it becomes easier to do that. Um, With that being said, I have nothing else to say. Uh, If you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, uh, feel free to leave me at my email at nicholashorre.tenayahoo.com. Again, thank you guys for listening. See you guys next week. Handing it back over to Brian. All right.
0: Um, Not much that I have to say either. Um, There's a lot of new faces coming to the sport universe, so keep an eye out for that. Um, We'll be back next week with another podcast. Let us know what you thought of this. Um, There should be a football podcast for next week. So there'll be more details on that for sure. Um, So go listen to that whenever we decide on that. Also go listen to the Mets podcast called Uncle Stevie's Nephews. I think we're on episode three now. It's episode four next weekend. Um, Obviously a lot of Mets news that we have to cover. Um, So you can go check that out there. Other than that, as I said, we'll be back next week with another podcast. If you have any comments, you can DM us, email us, however you want to do that. Check out our videos on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Our article is on our website, thesportuniverse.com. If you have any interest in writing for us, editing videos, or any way you think you'd help, contact thesportuniverse2019.gmail.com. Other than that, thanks for listening.